Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the twice-weekly podcast that will open your eyes to the kinds of insights you can use to better run your business. Come have your morning Joe with hosts Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins, who have the right recipes and ingredients to easily help you cook up a storm for even your toughest competitor. No lectures, no wasting your time telling you how smart they are, and no bullshit. The Small Business Wake-Up Call is going to make you think, laugh, and help you recognize how much money you've been leaving on the table with advice that'll help you improve your quality of life. Lonnie and Stan are small business veterans who will share their individual war stories and experiences, not only from their own businesses, but also from guiding hundreds of other small business owners in over 100 industries. Head on over to sbvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan and save yourself some headaches. Grab that second cup of joe, or maybe something a bit stronger, and let's see what's on the menu for today. Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, and here are your hosts, with cups in hand, Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins. Welcome to the next session of our podcast series, Small Business Wake-Up Call. I'm Stan Simpkins, along with my partner, Lonnie Shambi. Today, we're going to continue our in-depth review of the five M's, manpower, management team, marketing and sales, money, and machines and systems, the first two of which we presented in our previous podcast, as well as the overriding M, mindset, that affects each one. Today, Lonnie and I are going to talk about marketing and sales. While the others are all important, it's marketing and sales that fuels the engine that keeps the business running and growing. And Lonnie, you started your career selling and learning from the best back then, big IBM. From that foundation and your experience, showing small business how to market and sell. What's the key to marketing and sales success? Very simply, Stan, make it about the customer. But it all starts with marketing. Marketing's sole purpose is to generate qualified leads that sales can convert to customers. Sales and marketing are joined at the hip. You want to increase sales? Increase marketing. And the converse is also true. I mean, I'll never forget the very first time this came and hit me in the head with it was when a client called me in, prospective client called me in and said, our revenue is really dropping and we don't understand why sales guys are still working hard and the like, and we don't understand it. I said, well, have you had any recent issues? Well, yeah, we lost a big customer. And so we had to cut back because we weren't generating as much cash. We had to cut back. So we cut different functions and the like. And I said, was marketing one of them? And they said, yeah, we had to let the marketing person go. I said, so how are you generating leads? Well, the sales guys are doing that now. Okay, sales guys are not really good at generating their own leads. And that makes them work twice as hard to get half as much. Here's what I think we ought to do. Even if we do an outside firm, let's increase marketing. Because marketing, if you increase marketing you're bound to increase sales. That holds no matter what. And with your marketing, make sure you define your target market, niche wherever possible. Too many folks are 80 miles wide and an inch deep. You can't be all things to all people. And know what's going on in your market. What's changing? Legislation, technology, new products, competition. Who in your market are the key customers? And first and foremost, keep this in mind about your marketing. You don't get a second chance at a first impression. Once they've got you 
in their head the first time they see you. Website, social media presence, whatever. You'll make an impression. Well, so Lonnie, can, your, I can I interrupt you just a moment? Yeah, you can. Since you're on first. You do anyway. Well, that's why we're here. <laughs> yes. You do my first impressions. I'm sorry. I get on a roll, you know, and it's just. Yeah. It's, You'll be here all day. Yes, absolutely. But hey. seriously, all kidding aside, I want to just comment on something you just said before you went on to the next point. That, that was my main reason for interrupting you, so I do apologize. But really, first impression, that expression, the check is in the mail. Well, I love the website impression. They get, we're working on it. I've seen work in progress on websites <laughs> that lasted years. <laughs> because isn't that really one of the things that you found that small business owners oftentimes don't really appreciate the importance, not only of a good website, but not having a bad website? Yeah. The whole thing is usually today, the website's the first place they look. And if the first impression they get is, ooh, who are these guys? And it's all about the company and the product. Mm-mm. No. What are they going to do for me? And if they don't get that out of the first page on your website, kiss it goodbye. Well, then you have the websites that are absolutely, they're like Mona Lisa pieces of art, but they're so ineffective. Yes. There's no scorecard or prizes offered for the prettiest website. (laughs) But how do we get into that position? If I might add to that, because I'm the bean counter guy, you're the sales guy, right? You probably pay a lot more attention to some of that. But the reality is people oftentimes forget that the website and all these other social media things, they're a support, a means to an end, not an end to themselves. But when allowed to run rampant, the marketing firms that do this and get paid big money who aren't really regulated, if you will, by the client, they just close their eyes and hope to God it's what they want. They go on a tangent. A lot of it, though, is kind of the old, stuff against the wall kind of thing. Social media is a means to an end, not an end unto itself. Okay? I mean, how do you convert likes into revenue? Is there an equation that I missed at some Wait, point? you mean we have to do more than get liked? Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> Explain that more, Lonnie, please. Well, it's kind of like back in the early days of social media. I remember putting the plan together, and I came back with my guys, and this is when I was in investment banking. And I said, well, guys, where are the financials? Oh, that's not really important. What's important are likes and eyeballs. And I said, well, how do you, what's the conversion for that? It's because the fact of the matter is sometimes what likes are, are ego. I got 300 likes today. Oh, no kidding. And what you do with that? Because you take that to the grocery store. Maybe ShopRite will take those in lieu of money. Does it wink at you? Count as a like? <laughs> like dating? Oh, well, she winked at me, so. Yes, yes. Must be interested. <laughs> Talking about social media, at the risk of telling our listeners the obvious, though in all honesty, we know they know 99% of what we're talking about, so everything should be obvious. And that's why we said our purpose of these podcasts is not to act like we're teaching you something new, but to bring a top of mind awareness, bring what you already know to the top of that conscious level so you can make better decisions. And the one thing we want to talk to you about is a kind of buyer beware phrase that you've all heard of. When it comes to picking social media consultants, you got to be as diligent as hiring one of your most valuable, important clients because they're going to really impact you. Even if they didn't cost you a lot of money, it's the lost opportunity of a failed effort. So you need to be as diligent. I think sometimes people just, oh, some Joe Blow using good enough for him is good enough for me. Well, Joe Blow isn't them. So that's the first thing. 
The second thing is when you know you convince yourself, I got the wrong place, cut the bait. You'll find every reason. Well, I'm in the middle of the project. I can't cut the bait. It's the lost opportunity, not the lost revenue. It just keep pouring money down a rat hole. That's really what it ends up being. Oh, let's try it one more month. No, let's not try it one more second. You've never done that yourself, have you? <laughs> Anyone who says it has is either a lion or very lucky. We don't have enough time <laughs> to talk about how much money I have personally poured down the rattle. Right. So, well, Lonnie, we've done really well at making me sound like the bean counter guy, and I don't apologize for that because I think I got some great training and valuable tools. But I also went on and had an interest in sales and marketing. You know, I just didn't do it for a living other than for myself. But I went and got certified as a coach and trainer for Gorilla Marketing, the one that was founded by Jay Kyra Levison. Explain what that is, Stan. I don't yeah. know if it, a lot of people know what that is. Great point. Well, it's a great thing for small businesses. Well, let me first say that there was a book written by the late Jay Kyra Levison, who lived in Florida. I actually went to his house with five other people from all over the world, actually, different countries, and took the training and then took the test and got certified. So what is Gorilla Marketing? Gorilla Marketing is based upon a book that Jay wrote probably close to 40 years ago, I'd have to estimate. Bestseller, millions and millions of copies, 60 different countries. And it was written specifically for small businesses. It's not to say the principles don't apply to big, but it was written for small business for one reason only. Small businesses don't have the budgets to piss away that big, big companies with access to capital and a little less accountability in some ways have. The constraint for marketing budget proportionally is significantly greater for a small business than a big business. That's just reality. It's not a knock on being a big business. That's just a statement of reality. And so he put together in those days when he wrote the book, 100 techniques, tips, if you will, steps for how you can get more out of your marketing budget. I didn't say advertising, marketing budget. Well, then the internet came upon us. And guess what he did to the book? Besides sell more books. He added 100 more items that are, I think, almost exclusively, I don't think there are any exceptions that I can remember, that are all internet-based. But that brings me to a point, Lonnie, I really want to make. One of the things Jay said to us in person when we were at his house doing the training, he says, let me tell you something, guys. You know the idea of going back to the basics? I cannot tell you how many companies are getting lazy relying only on social media because it's kind of addictive. It seems easy. And they're missing the boat. There are numerous opportunities where you can build a business through canvassing, like they call it cold calling, but we don't like the word cold calling, and other techniques. And an example I would use is a company that I had that was selling a high-ticket product to homeowners for the most part, though there was a commercial market that they did sell to. But their focus from the marketing standpoint was a homeowner. They had a limited budget. This is a third-generation company. They were coming out of the slump. They were geared up, had a tremendous excess production capacity. And I said, number one, we want to upgrade your website. So when we get people there, it pre-qualifies them and kind of gets them in the right frame of mind about the company called Trust and induces them to call to get an estimate. We're going to train the intake people for the inbound call so they just get the clients totally comfortable to accept the appointment. But we want to get a way to get inexpensive costs to get eyeballs, as you said. In some cases, eardrums, like we're doing. We don't, no one's seeing us, so we're looking for eardrums more than eyeballs. And we've tried for 800 bucks a month, two billboards. 
on main roads that we knew would be their target market. And lo and behold, you'll never guess what happened, Lonnie. People were calling after they had thoroughly reviewed the website, kind of picked out what they wanted in terms of material design, and then got pre-qualified. So when the salesperson went out there, they just had to be nice and listen, ask the right questions, and close the deal. Oh, and by the way, what else did I do? I took the training I had gotten from a national franchise back in the 90s and gave them just selected tips. Like I didn't teach them how to golf from the beginning. I just saw one part of this. Like you did in coaching. Your batters knew how to bat. They just weren't batting the way they needed to. And so I gave them just a few tips, dramatically increased their closing rate. I've got a client right now, in fact, and he's been using email as a reach out campaign, et cetera. And We've tried so many different ways of doing it, right subject, short email, blah, blah, blah. And there's so much noise out there that what we decided to do was to go back to prior times, and that is direct mail in the mail, snail mail. And you know what? We we got about 20% not only opens, but 20% people who contacted us. It was phenomenal. We didn't send out nearly as many emails as we had, but we got qualified prospects. Don't let your arsenal be limited to simply social media, to simply using the internet. I'm not a big fan of cold calling, but it works in certain areas. But at the end of the day, it's all about sales. Well, Lonnie, wait, wait a second. I know you now for nine years. In fact, we met on LinkedIn, right? But I'm so happy to hear that you're not in love with the idea of cold calling because, you know, there's only two kind of people in the world who love cold calling. Do you know that? Liars and crazy people. Well, there it is. <laughs> and I tell people that in my sales career, and even now, when I'm trying to get new clients, I have never made a cold call in my life. And people look at me like I'm crazy. And it's, even back in the day, I would go to the library and actually research the prospective client, okay, or the prospective customer. Everything you do has to be about that customer. You've got to know more than they know. And when you walk in the door, you have to know more about them than they know about you. And I used to tell my salespeople, if you never talk about our product in the first call, I'm happy with that. Because that means if you were there for an hour, you talked about the customer, prospective customer, and his business. And that's most important. Because one of the things you've got to kind of think about is you need to build a relationship before you create a sale. It's one of the things I talk about in my book. And that's you got to give to get. What's the name of your book? Secrets to Entrepreneurial Success. Hmm. So a little plug there. Sure. You can get it on Amazon, easy, cheap. <laughs> so, but it's give to get is simple. It's what you're doing is you're giving them something, letting them test the product before you say, letting them use it, giving them something that costs them nothing, maybe their time. This is how you build a relationship. We get advertisements on the radio here of sales coaches offering, and they tell you, oh, Hardly any salespeople ever had formal sales training, and all that could be true. And we certainly cannot overemphasize the importance of the training. 
So any owner out there who isn't spending money on training their people, thinking, well, that's what I'm paying for, ain't I, to make a mistake. But what about the owner themselves as a sales manager coach? What awards of advice would you give some of these listeners on being a sales manager? Because oftentimes the owner is the sales manager. And sometimes that's a problem because the sales managers are too vested in the product. And when the customer gives them too many objections, they get offended. The owner's got to be sales manager to start with. There isn't any question about it. And he'll limp along. But the first person you want to hire is the best sales guy you can find. Well, not the right and, thing to do. Why would that be bad? And you got to pay him, okay? Now, you may not pay a market for there, but you've got to give him a reason to want to join you. And that's important because if anybody out there has salespeople and all they're doing is paying them on commission, here's what I'll tell you. They'll last about 18 months typically, unless they have a second job. You've got to give them a living to start with. So they're not worried about how they're going to put food on the table, and they can play the long game, the longer game, let us say. But that's important about, and see, this is where usually in either a company I've run or in a client situation, me and the bean counters have a problem. Because the bean counters don't think it's, first of all, sales is easy. Hey, let me tell you, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Everybody can't do it. And they make too much money as it is. So it's not if you really do the math. And I sit down and I'll do the math with them. I'll show them how much the sales guy's really bringing in relative to how much we're paying them. And that goes into everything else you're doing. Pricing ought to be tied to not just the competition, but you ought to know where you're positioning yourself. And you've got to have for the sales guys... A gross margin target. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. A gross margin target, because that's really where you make your money. And yet, isn't the mindset of, of a typical owner, how can I get lower to beat my competition? Is there an, Have you ever seen a situation where just significantly raising the price for no reason other than you just wanted to test it resulted yes. in an incredibly positive results? Yes, absolutely. Can I guess the name of the company has three letters? Starts with I and ends with M. <laughs> well, there's that, but I learned that long ago. But I mean, when a small company owns a market and hasn't, and when I say owns the market, I mean they're a leader in their own little niche. And if there's not a lot of really good competition, what I tell them is, you want to see how you can drop five points to your bottom line? And they won't look at me. Yeah. I said, maybe even 10 points. How do we do that? Raise your price by five points or 10 points, that's it. And it'll fall right to the bottom line. I have never had a client who was willing to take my recommendation to increase their price by two to 5%. I'd let them make the judgment because the first thing is to see if they'd even consider. Most are going to have a heart attack to say the word yes to my recommendation. And they get to pick the percentage. They're just so locked in that they consider themselves totally a prisoner to the low ball number. Oh, yeah. The thing is, this, how low can you go? Well, let me tell you something. The bigger the competition, the lower they can go. Because they can use your product area as a way in. You could be the cost cover for them. And so for them, it's, 
Yeah, they can go way <laughs> do, under you. Do you mean all things being equal, the guy with the most balls wins? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if that's bad news for you, bad news. Sorry to be bearer of bad news. That's how it works. In my mind, and from my own experience, I'm not saying my experience is everyone else's, but with 100 and God knows many industries that we've both seen and a couple hundred clients of mine in career, it's not so much that they don't get enough leads. I mean, we could use more, but it's not like a crisis situation. It's not even that they have the worst salespeople in the world. It's they shoot themselves in the foot. What are the ways that the sales process or the sales team or the owner, the sales manager, shoots themselves in the foot? What are the simple things that our listeners could listen to? Ooh, is that me? One of the things, one of the best, I mean, this happens more frequently than probably any one situation that you're talking about. And that is, got a great sales guy. I mean, he's just knocking the cover off the ball. And now you've got four or five salespeople, no longer something that the owner wants to manage directly. Okay. So what he does is he promotes his best sales guy. And unfortunately, he loses twice. He takes his best sales guy out of the 100% selling situation, puts him in a management position where he's not really qualified, and wow. And it happens so frequently, you can't believe it. I'm betting there are probably 10 people sitting out there right now, maybe 100, that they're just shaking their head, oh yeah, yeah, we did that. We did that. What a mistake that was. Well, Lonnie, if I may make an editorial interjection here. You probably know that 25% of small businesses are operated by women. And so to our female audience out there, we would advise you when we say he all the time. It's not that we're not uh, pro-women. It's just we don't use oh, no. multiple. No, no, no. In fact- No disrespect intended. You know what? Interesting thing. I'm glad you brought that up because I mentor a woman who mentors other women. And it's fascinating. Women are better at some stuff than we are. They really are. They're better focused. I don't know why. They're wired differently. And in your case, more tolerant, I'd say. Well, yes. Yes. <laughs> and probably not as cranky as we are. It's just, that's the other thing. But yeah, absolutely. When we're talking about, I don't like to do the he, she, us, whatever. It's so just, uh, yeah, just remember that we're talking to both of you. So on our next issue of sales marketing, we learned recently that a USP is not the same as a USB. Could you talk about what that is? I mean, basically, the universal sales proposition is, it's unique. basically- Unique selling proposition. What's the yeah. problem you're solving, the need you're addressing? That's it, in a nutshell. It answers the question, why should I buy from you and not your competitor? Yes, yes. Because I'm giving you the answer to your problem. Wait a second. So you're telling us we should get sales training. The people in the 50s who were listening to Joe Girard, the nationally famous car salesperson, who said- You're really a lot Well, my grandfather told me about that book. That's the I know about it. Jesus. Or maybe you did. Maybe you mentioned it. The 50s? What? (laughs) Back to the 50s again. You're doo-wop here. So what I want to know is, he was talking feature benefits, and I was buy into that. If we bought into it then, and we now are kind of saying it's changed, why would we buy into anything anyone's teaching today? It's not changed. Frankly, if you're selling on features, you're selling wrong. Sell on benefits, okay? The feature follows. It doesn't go the other way. I have this feature, and here's the benefit. No. Make it about the customer. Here's the benefit. This feature is what makes it work. 
You don't care. They don't care. Why waste time on a benefit if, Absolutely. The, if the feature is unimportant anyway? Yeah. That's interesting. A good point is to that is anyone's watched Shark Tank and watched them gruel one of the presenters because they couldn't probably tell them why they should, what problem the products exactly. are solving that nobody cared about. Why should I invest in you? Well, well, because it's, this product is so good. No. No, sorry. When the internet first was really beginning to roll back in the late 90s, I actually had my internet startup that I was working with out on the West Coast. And that's what these guys believed, that the product would sell itself. No. No product sells itself. We got about five minutes left, Lonnie, just now I'm tracking it. So let's make a point. So today we talked about a lot of sales techniques and things like that. The truth is that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to get you, our audience, to ask yourselves, what is it in my sales process, my sales resources, which obviously includes the people? Is there anything I could tweak or delete that would dramatically change the trajectory? Like you teach in baseball coaching for batting. If Lonnie and I didn't believe it's the slight edge items, it's not these humongous home run hit things we do, we probably wouldn't be in consulting because who would ever pay us enough money to spend the time finding them all? I used to tell guys that I coach, because I coached kids from as young as five and as old as 22 and everybody in between. And it's the little things. Well, here's a little thing for you. And this is important. Most of the time, in a company, the competition is the evil empire. Well, I'll tell you what, don't make them an evil empire. Do something different. Make them your classroom. Study your toughest competition, how they market, how they sell, and emulate them. Find a hole in their strategy. Interesting thing, I learned this again back in the day at IBM where we had a competitive analysis group it could give us everything about it. I wish I had that in every company I could do it. Couldn't. But you have to know who your competitors are. You got to know your battlefield, and then you pick your battles because invariably you're going to be the small guy on the planet, that planet that's selling into this market. And you have got to find a hole in the competition so you can grab a niche within. And they're not kicking your ass every 20 seconds. Okay? But you learn from them. Remember, if the sincerest form of flattery is to emulate somebody, then do that and learn from your competition. And Lonnie, if there was one thing we could only pick for the whole conversation, it's nothing we've said prior to what you just said. Because knowing your competition, I find, is probably the weakest area of small business owners in terms of knowing what they need to know? No question. That's one of the key things. Because the other side of things is remember this. Everybody focuses on adding new customers. Don't ever stop that. But competition is waiting to take your customer base. They're waiting to eat your lunch. So the other side of it is protect and grow that customer base that you've worked so hard to build. Let me do a 30-second summary. Today, we talked about marketing and sales. And the biggest takeaway should be make it about the customer. Not about your great product, your great technology, but filling a need and solving a problem for the customer. 
And then remember, marketing's sole reason for existence is to develop qualified prospect leads that sales can close. Therefore, marketing and sales are joined at the hip. Want to drive more sales? Drive more marketing. And with marketing, remember you don't get a second chance at a first impression. So plan all first impressions from your website, your social media, your sales folks' first calls, and be aware of the market around you, especially your competition, especially the successful ones. And lastly, re-emphasizing protect and grow your customer base. Milani, for some of our audience, they're probably happy to hear we're almost at the end. <laughs> and for those who are... Those, those, those who, didn't, those who didn't, didn't already check us out, you know, click off. It's the old, you know, the beatings will continue until morale increases. All right. So with that in mind, I would say just like today's session where Lonnie got to talk about his favorite topic, sales and marketing, I get to talk about my favorite topic next session, and it's about money, specifically cash. And do bring a blanket and a pillow for that one. <laughs> no, we'll surprise you because the reality is, and that's a good point. We want you to know it is not going to be an accounting class or a booking class. This is going to be how you get the air that you need to breathe called cash flow and how you can increase your profits. And the good news is we're going to give you a simple, easy to apply techniques that your accountant probably could have told you. And if he hasn't, you may want to have this conversation with him or her and get these because we think that in many cases, the onus is on the accountant to teach the client these things, not to wait for the client to ask. So if you want to give us some feedback, we love it. If you have any topics you want to suggest, and also do look at our tentative list already, just go to info at SB, like in small business, SB, virtualroundtables.com. And also check our website out at that address for a guest invitation to attend one of our 90-minute monthly virtual roundtables. Take a test drive on our dime. You've been listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the podcast providing eye-opening insights and perhaps a caffeine high to better run your business, delivered in Stan Simpkins and Lonnie Shambi's own unique style. Head on over to svvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan, subscribe to the show, find more resources, and check out their monthly 90-minute virtual roundtables. Thanks for listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call. 